is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market, think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we're speaking to Sydney Wong, the CEO of VentureX. If you're looking to learn how to make your next leap, then Sydney's story is for you. In 2015, Sydney bought a one-way ticket to Silicon Valley with no job, no visa, and no apartment lined up. A friend of hers from San Francisco said if she was serious about the tech and startup world, she should make the move. Sydney bought that one-way ticket the very next week. Once in Silicon Valley, Sydney attended endless meetup events, visited the Yahoo campus, and connected with as many people in different sectors as possible. She met young entrepreneurs who struggled through many obstacles to get where they needed to be in order to compete and build. Every Uber driver, every dog walker on WAG, and every house cleaner on TaskRabbit knew the direction they wanted to go. They didn't shy away from sharing them, their ambitions to strangers. Sydney was inspired by the tenacity and hustle of those around her and knew she had something meaningful to add herself. The startup industry is like a battlefield with few winners, but the opportunity that Sydney saw was, what would it take to produce more winners? 
and she built her company mission around this. When Sydney returned to Canada, she decided to create the same energy and infrastructure. When Sydney returned to Canada, she decided to create the same energy and infrastructure she found in Silicon Valley, but for Canadian entrepreneurs. That is how VentureX was born. VentureX is a platform that gamified the funding process and prepares startups to maximize the funding they can get. Welcome to the show, Sydney. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive into this because I do love me a fellow female entrepreneur who loves some risk. So let's talk about this leap that you initially took to go to Silicon Valley. Can you share with us what made you decide what that felt like and what it was like to just dive in head first? Well, you know that saying that people always tell you, which is that at the end of your life, you don't regret the things that you've done. You regret the things that you haven't done. Yes. So I knew that at that pivotal moment, if I wanted to grow more into this industry that I didn't know very much about at the time, which was about 2015, um, then I had to go and do something to immerse myself, right? You had to be in an environment where it would stimulate your learning and it would inspire you. And whatever I learned from that, whether it be positive, negative, um, or you, you go and you just completely decide that this is not the right thing for me, at least you know, and you wouldn't ever spend another day or another second wondering, what if? So that that feeling of regret or the what if, it doesn't exist for you anymore because you took that leap. You went to Silicon Valley and you saw so much there. Can you share a little bit more about what you saw around you and how that inspired you and planted the seeds for VentureX? Yeah, so I met a lot of interesting people that were, A, never afraid to share what they were working on, no matter how elementary or early it was. And it was very interesting because, you know, you go and you see more conservative places, and they don't really do that. They are um, kind of more wary of who you might be, what you might be doing with their idea. But the truth of the matter is, there is no such thing as a million dollar idea. You have to go and work for it. You have to go and build something. You have to go and execute. And so those were very interesting things that I saw. And nothing was too much work for people, I think. And that is another different um, thing that I felt was really inspiring was that they would go and, and, you know, bootstrap it themselves. They would go and take those extra meetings after work and, you know, do the side hustle and do all of these things that I think was um, something that was really interesting because the attitude and the atmosphere there was more everything in the world can be possible and I'm going to be the one that will build it. You know, it's not kind of waiting for someone else to bring a better future for you or your children or whoever. You were the one who's going to do it because you wanted it and you wanted to see it happen. Having that kind of proactive nature and um, leadership kind of attitude was so inspiring to be around. And every day you were able to learn something new from someone in any industry. So when you look back at yourself in 2015 and you think of the leap that you took, um, would you have done anything differently at that time looking back? Yeah, I think that you'll always have that, um, uh, that feeling of, I wish I did more. I wish I met more people. I wish I did, you know, these extra things, even when I was tired, even when it was, you know, that one day to take a break or whichever, you always wish that you did another 10% more 
you know, and it's really hard to kind of steer away from that when you have that kind of type A personality. So I think that there are plenty of, of opportunities that I could have t done a little bit more on or, you know, taken extra meetings or done a little bit more in this direction or that direction. And um, at the end of the day, you know, you have to be happy with um, what you have accomplished, which was more than you would have if you didn't go. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, make do with, uh, with what you have and create the opportunities that you want for yourself. So do you have any stories in your back pocket of that time? Because I would love to hear more about what it was like on the ground in Silicon Valley and what, what you saw up close that may have inspired you most or anecdotes that, that really stick with you from that period of time that may have led you towards VentureX. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I did constantly, which my some of my local friends thought it was kind of funny, was that I loved hearing the, the stories of Uber drivers. So I had this one Uber driver who I loved. He was like a, a musician. He was, a, he was traveling around, and um, he would come back. He's originally from the Valley, and he would come back, uh, rent out his place, you know, work for Uber, work on um, TaskRabbit, and do all of these odd and end jobs. He was the person on the other side of that app every time, no matter what app it was. He, it was. It was always him. Because he had all of those, but he was just doing all those jobs in order to uh, stay being a musician. And I thought that was really cool. So he taught me so much in such a short ride. I learned more about San Francisco and the different neighborhoods and the different things that were coming out, the different technology I've never heard of um, because they were on his phone and because he was a worker of all of them. Um, so when he taught me what task rabbit was, which was kind of like you um, put up a chore or any kind of task and someone else would kind of bid on it, um, you would see their geography, you would see their uh, profile, their kind of quote unquote Yelp review or their reviews, and, um, and then you can choose them to do your task. So um, from doing one job to another odd end job, he actually learned more ways and more opportunities to self-fund his dream. And he did that over and over and over again throughout, <laughs> throughout everywhere in San Francisco. It was always him. And so I asked him what was the funniest thing that he actually did do. And I know that this was put on TV years later. I think it was put up on like the Big Bang Theory. He was the guy who waited in line. He waited in line for the iPhone 6. And, and I thought it was so funny. I'm like, you did that the whole morning? He's like, yeah, they paid me like 60 bucks. I had nothing else to do that morning. But having that attitude was so interesting because I'm like, here is this guy and he obviously, you know, will do anything to achieve his dream. And this is, and he's teaching me all of these things I've never heard about and never knew about. And his stories are amazing, you know? So I've always remembered him and I've always remembered how um, his struggles were not struggles to him because he made a day out of everything. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like hearing his story too, it, it's such a it's such a Silicon Valley story where it's like you can pay someone to stand in line for you through tech in the in the valley and now anywhere through TaskRabbit. Anywhere. Um, huh. And it so, was so funny. <laughs> I feel like I would have just been dying laughing in the backseat of that car while he but also he gets to learn so much from the different people that he has in his car with him every day while he continues to pursue his dream. So that's a very beautiful story you shared. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that saying like I know a guy who knows a guy. Like, yeah. he's that guy. <laughs> That's incredible. And now he's got a major ally up north, so he'll, he'll be coming to visit, I'm sure. <laughs> 
when you, uh, obviously you were there, you were learning so much from different uh, people, places, uh, businesses, and then you ended up back home, back in Canada, and you, there's obviously a very different pace of things. Um, and you started noticing a gap in Montreal when it came to funding and the way startups were being funded and where people were having trouble in the process. Can you share a little bit about the origin of Venture X and how you've intentionally infused that Silicon Valley vibe and infrastructure you saw there into what you're creating today? Yeah, so doing kind of the, the same process of interviewing your customers and understanding their needs and, you know, working through all that. At the time when I came back, um, there were a few specific tech sectors like AI that were um, really, really booming. And by booming, I mean like they opened up new schools just for young people to learn um, development and coding and, and all that stuff because we had a massive demand um, after several really large companies here in uh, Canada were funded in the valley and then they came back and you know hired and they needed to hire more people so there then it created another wave of you know more tech startups in a lot of different genres because people were going into that sector um, right out of school and everything and so I can see that as a huge opportunity we were just you know a little bit later and um, and so then um, to meet that there were also kind of growing um, venture capitalists and investors, you know, here and there, there weren't a lot. So then what I had to do was I had to like travel across my country, um, which is okay because I'm basically like going home. I, my family's from, um, Victoria, BC, which is on the other side of Canada. <laughs> so it, was, it looks like I was just going home, but, um, but I was actually doing pilot projects with, uh, incubators and accelerators, those that would, um, accept, you know, something that was very new, very different and, um, did different pitch competitions and such in, um, in, in places while getting more feedback, while getting in front of, um, more startups and investors to sign on to our platform. So that's kind of how I was building it out over and over and over again. Um, one of the things that was super lucky was that I live in Montreal, which is a fairly low cost city, especially compared to Silicon Valley, where like, by the way, my friend who I moved in with, I did like never moved out. And I was just, I was just there. Um, <laughs> and so I, um, yeah. And, and so that being in a much lower cost city gave me a much longer burn rate. So when you are deciding uh, when to take the leap, also decide where to take the leap and why, right? So having uh, taking advantage of the um, R&D credits that are given by our government and, um, and different grants and things like that, it may be a little bit slower in terms of some decision making in a lot of different industries here. But if you are considering how, um, how much less it costs for all the different business decisions that you would make as a startup anyway, um, you would kind of see where the light is and take advantage of where the opportunities are for your particular and so startup. so the Montreal ecosystem, um, how, how did you notice gaps there when it came to what you ended up providing, which uh, VentureX is focused entirely on increasing access to investment, helping people gain investment, uh, and investing in startups. So can you tell us a little bit about how you noticed that gap in the Montreal market? Um, yeah, so uh, one big obvious one would be that there aren't nearly as many investors. And so it took me not a lot of time to do all of my customer interviews. <laughs> so that was that was really short. Um, and, um, and then, you know, they didn't have the same kinds, like they needed to provide a lot of partnerships and relationships with their partners down south. 
such as in Silicon Valley, um, in order to grow and expand and, you know, be a lot more efficient. So I found that the process here, you know, for example, taking over six months to do due, 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 uh, to do due diligence is incredibly slow and is incredibly mm -hmm. inefficient because when you're in your first year and it's super critical to get that funding as quickly as you can, here are all my numbers, you know, here's everything that you asked for. Here's like 1,600 follow-ups. Like, it's still a really, really long time. And a lot of people, um, startup founders especially, could weed out and could you know, die out along the way. There are um, a couple that have taken up to 18 months that, uh, for, for one particular firm. And it was incredibly long. I can't believe somebody could take 18 months of their, of their life. In 18 months for a startup, it, yeah. the applicant or what you gave them 18 months ago, you could be an entirely different business by 18 yeah. months later. Yeah. But they've done that like, yeah, they do that, especially those that are um, even slower, like related to the government and things like that. They'll ask you for follow-ups every so often without knowing if you're going to get the, the funding or the grant or anything yet. They'll just ask for updates of all of your numbers and um, and then they'll decide, you know, later and an undisclosed date whether you would get it or not. So the person who, well, it's a couple that uh, went through the ones with 18 months did not get it at the end because their business was completely different and it was it was ridiculous. And so they are kind of still bootstrapping in. And when you think of that, it's like it, this time that entrepreneurs spend worrying about funding in that timeline, they could be doing so much more for their business if that due diligence period became smaller. So is that something that VentureX focuses on with the clients and, and the startups that you work with? Yeah, so that is, uh, that's definitely what we want to do when we want to bring transparency and more data and more um, smart decision making into that process. Um, another, another, um, actually another female founder who came out of a great um, incubation program, went to the Valley for a bunch of meetings and then closed her, fun uh, closed her funding in just over two weeks. So that is an enormous range of, of, of time. And she was able to continue on to her business with almost no stop, you know, and it was a same wow. business that she applied for when she applied and, for the And that was uh, someone who worked directly with VentureX. No, that was actually somebody who um, was way ahead. This was like a long time ago that she told me. Yeah. Yeah. This was okay. like a few years ago when she did this. Yes. So can you share with us some uh, success stories or stories that you're most proud of with the work that VentureX has, has accomplished? Um, yeah. So we had um, over, over 300 um, startups that are on our platform. Um, we have great relationships with, um, with investors around Canada and the U.S. mostly. And with those investors that are more international, we have partners that are um, helping us manage those because we have found that when you have partnerships in the startup community, it does help you expand and grow much faster. You can only be the expert in so many domains. Um, one of the great ones that, um, that we have helped gone through was uh, last year, and it was a competitor to Groupon. And what they did is that they um, added much more of a social element and a real-time basis, which gives the merchants um, interesting data to work with as well, so they can better utilize their marketing dollars. 
So um, they they have gone through to over 300 investor matches, 354 actually, exactly. Wow. And um, and yeah, and so it was really interesting to to get to go through an entire process, um, you know, with this kind of company. And because they were like a B two C and marketplace, they happened to match with more than others. And this is another important fact that um, startups who are thinking of, I'm going to go for funding. I don't know what I want to do yet. Maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do, you know, a different industry. Depending on your industry, you will have like a higher likelihood of funding. So that particular client happens to have matched with all of these guys, right? But if they didn't, they wouldn't have the same kinds of chances either. You see what I mean? A hundred percent. You don't know what's out there unless it's aggregated for you and, and accessible to you. And instead of just shooting in the dark, you're giving people the opportunity to be able to match and know exactly who fits their profile. Yeah, exactly. And so he was able to get his uh, real-time information, uh, feedback from investors quickly, iterate quickly, and then deliver back to them. So that made a huge difference in how he was able to close. That's huge. And so you shared with me in uh before the interview, during the pre-interview section, um, a very interesting anecdote about your own funding journey. So you were offered $4 million in investment, and you decided to say no. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, so I always tell um, entrepreneurs when they ask me, you know, can you help me with funding? I always ask them, first, are you sure you need it? And are you sure this is the path you want to go to? Because if the answer is slightly no, but it's a nice to have, then you're not going to be chosen by them because they will see right through that. Um, And then the next thing I ask them, which is really important, is how do you know this is the right time, right? So timing is, um, is actually one of the most important things when it comes to any company. So... It wasn't the right time for us. If if you found, if you kind of see it as like a storyline and these investors are, you know, other characters that are coming into your story, when they come into your story, they come onto the path and journey with you to move forward. It has to be the right time. It has to be exactly, you know, we have built this. This is our traction so far. This is our next milestone. If they come in too early, um, it would not work out very well because you wouldn't be able to raise an, another round. You wouldn't be able to hit your milestones the same way. You wouldn't be able to hire fast enough or build fast enough or sell enough in order to um, get to that next round. And if it's too late, then it would be a disadvantage to you as well because then why would you be giving away whatever percentage of your company for a round that's too small? So it's really important that you know what you are worth and why. And if you need help, you know, finding out exactly what you're worth, what you should be asking for, why, then get people that are external to your company, such as lawyers, accountants, you know, external firms, consultancy firms, and do an analysis for you to kind of see like, is this the right time? This is how much they're offering me. This is how much my firm is worth right now. And uh, this is the new, you know, milestones that are ahead if I take this investment or not. So in the, you know, in the long run, it's kind of like, I could choose to take the money right now and it would be great and it would be, you know, awesome to go down this journey. Um, or I could take my, my own advice and keep the company the, the way that it is and continue building up, continue generating revenue and uh, reinvesting the revenue back in our company and then only take uh, the investment when we really need it and should have it. And that's a huge decision to make and also one that when you check in with yourself as well as you did and with the business as well as you did, 
you could have dodged a major bullet or uh, and given yourself now more runway to even come in at a higher valuation when you do and if you need external funding. So that's something that I think is is hugely admirable and also just massive self-awareness for yourself and the business. Yeah, I had a great uh, an investor who once said that his favorite part about being an investor, he's one of the big investors here in Montreal, actually, um, he said was learning and observing about human nature, seeing how people react to things um, when huge changes in their lives kind of come in, because as an entrepreneur, you usually don't have enough time to have a normal human reaction, whether it's the next day you got funded millions of dollars or the next day you went broke. You know, one or the other is going to happen in the 24 hours. And to kind of see how it affects people, you are faced with these enormous situations and massive decisions that it really does test out who you are and what you're made of. Mm. And your reaction, it's always about that we can control those reactions and the more we're connected to ourselves our businesses the more we're tuned in the the more we can manage those reactions well absolutely absolutely and whenever something that's like massive happens I always think of um do you know the uh, the Thomas Edison formula for greatness I don't actually so I think I heard I think I first heard about it on the Tim Ferriss podcast sounds like sounds like it so um what happened was that um, when he had his workshop and everything, he had this massive fire that he came back to and it burned down a lot of his work, burned down millions and millions of dollars worth of his work. And so he looked at the fire. He didn't freak out. Every person in his life was still safe. It was just that it was all of his work. So he said, good, now I got to get rid of a lot of rubbish. Mm. So the idea was, you know, when you're faced with these big situations and you can't really do a lot about it, it is in your control how you're going to react to it. So it was so interesting that the people around him were freaking out, but they saw him super calm and he never recovered um, the same amount because the insurance only covers like, I don't know, a small percentage of it. And it's, it's Thomas Edison's work, right? So it's not something that you can just get from anywhere else. And so it was so interesting that whenever um, I'm faced with a with a big with a big massive decision or a big massive you know um, situation that just happened, I always like to to think back on that and and see how aware you are of the situation, aware you are of yourself, and what your next um, step forward could be. So, what is your personal philosophy around mindset and entrepreneurship? Because it's a big part of the equation and as you shared with that anecdote and even the story around saying no to funding um, we have to be in sound mind in health the healthiest we can be Um, what does that look like for you Um, so that's a great question we actually did one of my favorite blog posts about that it's the mindset of an entrepreneur on our blog at blog.mentrex.ca I can send it to you later (laughs) so (laughs) <laughs> so it, it's one of my favorite posts because it, it deep dives into very specific case studies of a very important entrepreneur that, that we look up to, you know? Um, so whenever it comes to coming back and being level-headed and understanding what uh, decision I should be making next, I like to have um, something called you are your average of five, you know, our mm-hmm. rule of five. Do you know what that Yes, average of the company you keep. The five you spend the yes, most time exactly. with. 
Exactly. And so if you think about it, you know, if you are an entrepreneur, are you spending most of your time with other entrepreneurs? And if you are, are they ahead of you or not ahead of you? And if they're ahead of you, then you will have a very different feeling that um, they're talking about things that may be wider than your vision. And that's really important because that's the kind of diverse perspectives they should be giving you. In another way, it's called inspiration, right? So they are providing you all of these possibilities. And all they did was they told you about their day. That's all they did. And it has provided you also just another world that, um, that has equalized you to that level and equalized your vision to that level. So it's important to have the people that are around you um, be looking out for your best interests in ways that they may not even think is active or conscious. But they, but they are. And, um, and when it comes to understanding, you know, what decision should I make, understand how previous decisions were made by previous entrepreneurs who've done what you have done before. And what were the pros and cons of that? Because we often think the problems or experiences that we have are novel or have never been experienced before. But in one way or another, every problem, every experience has been grapple, grappled with in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so we can always pull from others' experiences. Yeah, I think it's uh, Maya Angelou says that we will never live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves. That's why we have to learn from other people's mistakes and their experiences. That's so beautiful and so on point. Um, <laughs> so naturally, you were at in Silicon Valley in 2015, um, a time prior to a lot of... Um, dialogues that we're having around diversity and inclusion now, and it's specifically in the context of Silicon Valley. Um, can you share a little bit of your experience as a woman of color in the, in the startup tech space and what you've seen change over the last few years um, and what you're hopeful for about the future? Um, yeah, so I, I have seen um, definitely a lot more diversity come onto the stage. I think that there's still more work to be done, but I've seen more women speaking up and creating these initiatives, creating these groups, creating these programs as well, you know, and not just kind of hoping that it's out there. So that is a huge change. And um, being able to identify which ones you best belong to, that's really up to you and, and you know, your cultural fit. Um, one thing that I would like to see more is that, you know, your um, seeing is believing. So I would love to see um, more women of color in a CEO position. And that's, you know, people that I would like to relate to. I would like to hear podcasts from, I would like to see interviews with, you know, I want to be able to see because then your representation is that, is that you are being represented on these stages and, um, and you are, you know, that people who look like you have done it before, therefore you can do it too. Um, one program that I actually, there, there are a couple of programs I use, but one, uh, one interesting program that I use in order to have more, um, diversity is that is called it's a program called work away so it's workaway.info and what it does is that it's kind of like couch surfing and entrepreneurship like combined so I had um, for example this girl who came and helped me with social media she is from Mexico she has um, a degree in marketing and social media but she couldn't find it she couldn't find work there she came from a city of 10 million people which is Mexico City and 
when she was here with me for about five weeks, she worked on uh, some social media campaigns. She created a whole photo shoot session day, which was great because I love them. And then um, I was supposed to, you know, give her a place to stay, feed her, and basically keep her alive. <laughs> we were roughly the same age, but that's what the program was supposed to be for. She loved Canada so much, she decided to stay, and now she did, and she works um, for photographers and artists and uh, helps them do like kind of like an apprenticeship. And, and yeah, she's still here in, uh, in Montreal, Canada. So she thanked me for providing her uh, this opportunity when I should be thanking her for helping me with the business. And um, I didn't really understand why. I just thought she wanted to travel. And she said, no, nobody would give me an opportunity to build my portfolio. Even if I did it for free, there's too much competition where I'm from. So I had to leave in order to have opportunities to explore the work that I really want to do. So I thought that was really that was really touching, and it was it saddened me that she had to do that, you know, and um, and so right now in Silicon Valley, the biggest employers and the biggest uh, handouts for H one B visas, for example, were uh, Facebook, Apple, and Google. So they're all the tech companies in Silicon Valley to begin with, and um, and having that kind of diversity, having an increase in um, different perspectives and cultural thought and all of these um, diversity specific initiatives are only helping you know the, the leaders of the world that, that we see every day so why shouldn't we be embracing more and more programs like this in order to have a more diverse team I think that um, we are very lucky to be able to provide these opportunities for for other people and we should we should do more of them it's it's only brought positive impact to um, what we do here. So when I am in, you know, my, my city and I hear our clients or um, colleagues or things like that who say, you know, I only want people who can speak this language in this way. And, and what their job title is, is nothing to do with the language. It was just that they personally felt more comfortable to, to without saying it, they felt more comfortable having somebody who looked like them. They just didn't want to say it like that. Um, and so those kinds of attitudes are kind of, I would say, blocking out, um, the, the diversity initiatives, whereas as entrepreneurs, we have the opportunity to change that conversation and change that, that around, you know? And so I think we should. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And something that I love as well, um, is seeing obviously more women of color, as you mentioned, in positions of power being observed. And you yourself were the runner-up for Startup Canada's Female Entrepreneur of the Year uh, not long ago. And this year, you've been nominated for RBC's Women of Influence. Can you share a little bit about advice that you'd give to listeners who feel small, who don't necessarily believe in the things that they've accomplished or that they can accomplish? Um, I think it would be very powerful to hear hear you share your thoughts on this as someone who is in the ring and in the arena, as Brene Brown would say. I think that nobody knows how you got somewhere. Um, and, and you never have anything to fear for just trying, you know, in terms of trying, you are what you habitually do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit and not an act. I could have gotten none of those things and I would have spent so many hours because by the way, your essays are very long. I could have spent so many hours 
applying for, you know, these different things or um, being nominated for awards that I would still have to write eight essays for. It's not like it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's all work. And, and at the end of the day, you never know what you're going to get, but you never know what someone else is going to get either, which means that if your teacher tells you there's going to be one valedictorian in the school, we were always taught by our parents, that could be us. That means it had to be somebody. Not that there's so many people in the room, it's probably not going to be me. It means that there is a position available, there's an award available, there is an opportunity available, and it has to go to someone. So why not let it be you? I love that change in perspective that I think so many people need uh, to hear and so many women specifically need to hear. Um, so why, why not me and why not now? Yeah, why not? Because you only have one life to live, right? And it could be now. And if you don't get it, then you know all of the right essay words to write for the next grant. <laughs> and you're fine. You're miles ahead. That's amazing. You just, you'll have it in your drive to pull from for anything in the future. There's really no downside here. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, what other th- some of the things that I wrote for, for Startup Canada awards um were amongst my favorites so i kept those forever and um you will see because only you guys have it um parts of that language is in a in a book that i was offered um to be featured in called innovate montreal so it just came out like last month no two months ago just came out two months ago um a wonderful wonderful man named um, bram who interviewed me and um, asked me to write a little blurb so got that blurb from startup canada because I already put in all this work. (laughs) Incredible. And it was wonderful. He loved it. So I'd love to know what motivates you? What keeps you going? What keeps you inspired? And what keeps you achieving in your life? Oh, really good questions. Um, So I come from, uh, obviously, uh, you know, I'm a female entrepreneur. I'm a woman of color. So like a lot of us, I come from um, a very humble beginning where my parents escaped communism and lived through cancer and nothing, nothing that I do will be half as hard as what they did for me. And I think that having to fight every day is the least that you can do in order to honor people who've worked so hard for you. And it doesn't have to just be your parents. It could be your aunts, uncles, it could be your friends who, who, you know, do things for you. It could be your colleagues who introduce you to people. When people give you opportunities and you're too, you know, drawn aback to take them, then that is actually a negative on your relationship with them. That is a dishonor to the people around you. So the people around me, whether they be my parents, um, my employees from all different places, because I have a very strong diversity initiative in, in our company, um, who are expecting you to speak and come to work and give them direction and give them structure every day, or your mentors who are expecting you to provide them news, updates, things that are interesting, that happened, things that you have really um, been gunning for because they're volunteering their time to help you. They're opening opportunities for you. And so they want to know the results of those. Have they been fruitful? Have they not been fruitful? So the most motivating thing um, that I would say is to surround yourself by people that, um, that you should honor as much as they have done for you. And when you're always thinking about it in those terms, you are never that um, isolated in your journey, but also it makes you have to go forward more and more and more, you know? 
they say that um, if you ask a runner if he's nervous or if he or she is um, <laughs> if he's if he or she is nervous or excited, they'll say excited because your nervousness and, and your excitement actually is exactly the same symptoms of the feeling of butterflies in your stomach. So take that nervousness away and replace it with the excitement to motivate yourself to go forward. Mm. And so we all fall. We all have those moments where, you know, we feel as though we're on our knees. We are, we're feeling the pressure, the weight of the world, um, or something's gone awry. We consider a failure, any of these things. Um, we're down for the count. How do you pick yourself back up? How do you rise? Um, that's a really good question. So when I fall in any direction, the last thing I want to do is talk to people and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be like, nobody talk to me. Um, <laughs> but you do, you, you know that everything does happen for a reason. And when one door closes, another one opens, you just don't know when it's going to be right. So if you, um, if you have, ever had that situation, always remember it in any way that you can, whether you write it down and post it up or you talk about it a lot or, you know, you, you tell people and, and bring those kinds of experiences in, but it's not about how many times you fall. It's about how quickly you get back up. So it's about the speed of recovery that tests your tenacity, right? So you would have a list of different kinds of rituals. Um, for me, it would be like going to the gym, going out for a, a walk, talking to a friend for a long time. And if you have entrepreneur friends like mine, they will never ask you like, like about your failures. They will just talk about their day the whole time. <laughs> this really is fact. Your mind off of it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's such a great point because it's and but it also is so important to to just know yourself and know what you need so that you can always come back to it in those lows. Yeah, it, it just circles right back to your self-awareness. How do you like to celebrate? How do you like to recover? Mm. So my last question for all of our guests um, is what piece of advice do you have for female entrepreneurs to thrive in their lives and their careers? I think that, um, you know, I love to see more female entrepreneurs um, come on the stage, apply for more things, go for jobs that they don't think that they're qualified for. I mean, I do. You know how many UN jobs I apply for and I do not speak any African languages? <laughs> a lot. A lot. They said no every time, but that's okay. <laughs> like, only thing I lost was a like, couple hours of time. Um, because I can give you a great example of why you should always apply for opportunities that you don't think you're qualified for. Because those are the best ones. I, um, <laughs> I I received an invitation for for a conference called uh, Les Femmes Exceptionnelles. So it's um, for exceptional women. It's it's just uh, different kinds of entrepreneurs from different industries. And um, they had a list of speakers. They had a list of you know different things. I actually don't know how I got this email because I didn't <laughs> sign up for it. And so um, I replied back with the the one page feature that I had in the book, you know, the one that we talked about, Innovate Montreal. And I had a YouTube video of me like presenting just basic introduction about the company and things like that. And then I wrote a small script. So I replied back and I said, Hey, if you have another spot for a speaker, I would love to speak. 
No one else would do that when they received an invitation. They wouldn't reply back and be like, I would like to be in the program, please. <laughs> this is the kinds of, these are the kinds of opportunities that um, you have to create for yourself, right? Because you don't know they're going to say no. Yeah. They can, and that's perfectly fine. I've done it like five, four times since then. But they said, not only did they say yes, they actually gave me the keynote wow. for the conference. They loved my story so much. And they loved my presentation style and everything. And I thought it was great. So I had a fabulous time. Wow. And yeah, so I, I think that um, people don't take enough risks. And there's this one great trip, uh, trick that you could do. Um, it's called the 100 Days of Rejection. And for any female entrepreneur or leader that wants to practice taking more risks, I highly recommend you look up this TED Talk. It's one of my favorites, 100 Days of Rejection. So what this does is that it gets you to practice things that are absurd in your everyday life. So <laughs> you ask for like a discount off of coffee. You would ask for a free burger refill at McDonald's because they would only give it to you for soda, right? So you could just bring back like, like trash. And <laughs> I have another burger refill and kind of see how, how it would be because the whole thing about um, not taking enough opportunities is that you think the person's going to say no. The point of this exercise is that even if they say no, it doesn't really matter. So I did this exercise with somebody who wanted to do it and like we filmed it and it was really fun. We filmed it on like Instagram stories. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, so do that and check out this TED talk. But these are great small ways to give you the confidence of taking bigger and bigger risks, right? And, um, and anything that you think that you don't have the time to do, if, if that's the purpose of not taking the opportunity versus the fact that they might say no, is track what you actually do. There is a, a Google Chrome app, um, it's called Rescue Time. And if you guys want to put it on your Google Chrome, I think it's free. What it does is that it actually tracks what you are actually doing. And it turns out I watch way too much YouTube. I, <laughs> I would be I guilty as well. <laughs> I really thought it was going to be like, you know, one hour. It's really not. And <laughs> it tells me that. It tells me if I'm purposely doing things that are distracting on my computer or I'm doing things that are productive, like going on my Google Calendar and scheduling things in and things like that, right? But, um, but yeah, so use those kinds of tricks in order to provide yourself more opportunities and, you know, let me know how it goes. Send me an email. Thank you so much, Sydney, for your time. Is there anything you'd like to share before we wrap up? I want to thank you guys, uh, Startup Canada, for having this this podcast as well as all of your wonderful events. I have been a huge supporter, and um, and I think that you guys are doing amazing things for entrepreneurs everywhere. So I want to thank you guys. Mm, thank you so much, Sydney. Thank you for your time, your wisdom, and we're so excited to see what the future holds for you and for VentureX. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space, to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, 
I'm Komal Minhas. It's time to thrive.